The Athletic. Just to let you know, before we get started, the following episode contains explicit language from the off and has content some listeners may find upsetting. We're in the depths of Legia Warsaw Stadium, alongside Ukrainian football club Shakhtar Donetsk. In the dressing room, the club's captain, Taras Stepanenko, is psyching up his team for the next Champions League match against Celtic. I just wanted to say, right now, the energy and the spirit that has to be so strong in this changing room, that if a guy walks in with a light bulb, it will fucking burst. Today I don't want to hear that someone lost a battle, didn't run enough or anything else. So you fucking come out and play like men. If we have played in Germany like that, then we have to play even better here. Because I'm sure we were stronger than this fucking team. Whilst he's motivating his team in the changing room, Ukraine's president, Volodymyr Zelensky, has sent a telegram, which is an instant messaging service, a bit like WhatsApp, to rally his country. Do you still think that we are one nation? Do you still think that you can scare us, break us, make us make concessions? You really didn't understand anything. Don't understand who we are, what we're for, what we're talking about. Read my lips. Without gas or without you, without you. Without light or without you, without you. Without water or without you, without you. Without food or without you, without you. Cold, hunger, darkness and thirst are not as scary and deadly for us as your friendship and brotherhood. But history will put everything in its place. And we will be with gas, light, water and food. And without you. For The Athletic, I'm Adam Crafton and I'm tracking Ukrainian football team Shakhtar Donetsk as they traverse Europe on a football mission, all whilst war continues back in their country. We are still frightened, we are still afraid of like the Russian army, but yeah, we, we do believe that we will win, and uh, yeah, and we do believe in our army, it's like, like never before. Then I saw his father complete in the dark in uniform, somewhere in bunker, and I was in shock, I just say, don't worry, in English, I'm Ukrainian father, meet Croatian father. I hugged the little one and I went away to cry. When I go to window, I see how it uh, can be when like uh, Armageddon. This is Away From Home, episode two. Thank you, Croatia. For this episode, I'm enlisting the help of my colleague, Joey Durso. He'll be in this series a lot, as I can't be in two places at once, and there's a lot to cover. Whilst I'm joining the team at their temporary home in Warsaw, Joey's off to another part of Europe to find out more about a different part of the football club, the academy, where children have been separated from their families but are still dreaming of a career as a footballer. It's Tuesday the 13th of September, the day before Shakhtar plays Celtic 
in their second group stage match in the Champions League. I'm in Croatia, where Shakhtar Donetsk have been able to call on their contacts to house their young prospects, keep them safe and out of harm's way. Croatia is where many key Shakhtar Donetsk people come from. The head coach, Igor Jovicevic, who we met in the previous episode, is Croatian. And most significantly for the academy, Dario Serna, the club's director of football, is also Croatian. He's a legend at Hajduk Split on Croatia's sun-soaked Adriatic coast. He's the one who's been able to get these boys to safety and playing football again. And Croatians are only too happy to help. They have very recent memories of war themselves. In the early 90s, during the breakup of Yugoslavia, Croatia fought for its independence. The country, while not perfect, has progressed hugely since those dark days and is a sign for Ukraine of what could be possible one day. First though, let's talk about what an academy is. Producer Abby is here to explain. So the academy is a youth section of a football club. It's used to develop the stars of tomorrow. As well as finding players that will help win matches in five or ten years' time, it's also vital to the club as a business, because footballers command huge transfer fees. Academies are all about creating and selling potential. It's a football education system, like a school. It's the same ages, all wearing the same uniform with the same badge proudly adorning every item of clothing. It's a space for learning, just with a lot more gym class thrown in there. Shakhtar's academy is now based out of the Hotel Zagreb in Split, Croatia. Out here, there's a core team of people who are looking after dozens and dozens of young teenage boys. They're playing the role of parent, teacher, trainer, nurse, entertainer, and so on. In short, there's a lot of responsibility. Yes, of course, because this One such person is Katya, who's been with the club since 2006. She was part of the wider team of people who helped build the Donbass Arena, the stadium where Shakhtar should be playing their matches. In the academy, I started to work from 2016. The thing that stands out most about Katya is that she lives and breathes Shakhtar Donetsk. This club is her life, and it's more than a job to her. But she tells me that her role has changed a lot as a result of the war. Parents call me and say, please, Katerina, please, buy for some sweets. Some cookies. <laughs> yes, some cookies. It's almost like you're a second mother to hundreds of children. <laughs> yes. Sometimes it was like that, yes. Is that difficult? Very difficult. Why? Because you need to take care of 100 children, you know. But this is our work, you know. If you ask me about, do you want to change your work? No. You know? Why? Because this is my life. This is my passion. This is my emotion. Because uh, you understand that you give the part of your soul this Katya is not the only person giving above and beyond for the academy. Here in Split, Shakhtar have had help from one Croatian man in particular, and it's fair to say he's made quite the impression. My name is Rane Bucan. He's a crazy man, really good crazy man. Franny Bucan is a former footballer for Croatian side Hajduk Split, and he's been a bit of a saviour for this academy. I can't explain you. He did for us unbelievable moments. Unbelievable stories. Frane is 57 years old, but with the spirit of a much younger man. When we speak, he's head to toe in this azure blue short tracksuit, emblazoned with the badge of Genk, the Belgian football club he used to play for. He's got a cigarette in his left hand, wafting it around like he's never seen without it. He's the sort of man you'd like to be your uncle. We're speaking at the Hotel Zagreb, where the academy is currently based. 
He's here because he's got connections and because, like Katya, this is his passion. I'm so emotional for children because I can go in their mind. Uh, we made war here. People are dying. And because he remembers his own experiences when Croatia suffered its war. We're also refugees. This is actually a military hotel built from Yugoslav army. And uh, for four years, uh, people from the uh, country lived here as refugees in our war, 91 to 95. War was here, just behind mountains. We oldies, let's say, we remember refugees, we re remember small children crying, uh, walking with uh, one bag. People have it in their mind. One of the hardest parts of all this is communication. It's quite tricky to explain, but stick with me. In Croatia, more than 90% of the population speaks some English, and virtually everyone is fluent in a tourist town like Split. While that's useful for foreign visitors like me, it doesn't help these kids from Ukraine, because back home in Donetsk, their first language is Russian. And now they're having to learn Ukrainian, as the country grapples with its new identity throughout their territory. Training sessions here are in Ukrainian, which some of these kids barely spoke six months ago. So on top of being away from home, having lessons on Zoom, and trying to keep their football careers on track, the kids are also learning a new language, Ukrainian, and attempting to get some English too. Croatians, like Frane, don't generally speak any Ukrainian or Russian, and I don't either, but we're working closely with native speakers in making this podcast. I tried to speak to some of the academy kids without a translator. You can hear that their English is far better than my Ukrainian. Do you speak English? Yes. What do you well, do you think Shakhtar will win? Yes. Are you happy? Yes. Who's your, who's your favourite player? Mudrik. Mudrik. Who's your favourite player? Mudrik. Mudrik. Everyone Mudrik. Do you think one day you can play for this team? I don't know. You don't know. But I, I want. You, what do you say? I want to play this game. You think they beat, they'll beat Celtic? You Celt don't understand you. Mudrik is uh, a good player with Shakhtar. You're finished? Uh, you come from Ukraine to Croatia? Yes. Do you like Croatia? Yes, yes. What do you like? It's a good country. Putin bad. What do you think? It's true. Here's Frane explaining to me how he communicates with the boys. Google Translate. Really? Yes. Google Translate, some of them, or uh, Viber, mostly Viber, that's also weird because Croatia is WhatsApp. Yeah. Uh, Viber, even Messenger. Viber, by the way, is just like WhatsApp, but with a purple icon instead of a green one. Uh, some of them are texting me in Croatian. I answer in Croatian and the rest is texting in English. So they can text in English, but not necessarily All speak. texting. So you don't speak? No. So you do speak Russian or Ukrainian? No, no, only English, English. and Dutch. So th th that's uh, painful. You know, they are so sweet, small children. You, you see they are little bandits, you know. Uh, tricky guys, and that's what I like. There is one, uh, uh, and he's an amazing player. He's exactly Paolo Maldini yeah. in his best time. Long hair, tricky smile, and his eyes are a little devil, you know. And you can't talk to that boy. Yeah. We're speaking at the Hotel Zagreb, which is a bit of a misnomer really, as it's in Split. 
Split is a picturesque tourist city with old palaces that feature in Game of Thrones and is the gateway to Croatia's beautiful islands. The hotel, though, is on the outskirts of town. On the outside, it's concrete and functional, but on the inside, you can feel the faded 70s Yugoslav glamour. It's been the boys' home for over six months now. It possibly sounds exciting in a way, living away from your parents with a beach on your doorstep and everything catered for you. But the reality is quite different, as Franny explains to me. Down there, they have PlayStation, uh, Red Cross, uh, UNICEF and all these organisations. They brought everything. They have tatami for judo. They, down there in hotel, they have all facilities, uh, ping pong table. Uh, but you can't play uh, table tennis every day. One day it's boring. You're not at home. Yeah. There is no your usual forest to walk. There is no your center of Kiev or I don't know what. Uh, going to school, that bus atmosphere, class. Little fights, uh, tricky moments. Girls. Girls, they don't have it. Mm. It's nice for one month, but uh, after these almost six months, it's not uh, not big pleasure. Franny tells me about the time he saw one of the boys calling his father back home in Ukraine. One evening he was first uh, out of dressing room and uh, I saw he's talking uh, with the WhatsApp video call and uh, you know, uh, there I'm immediately emotional and I, I w wanted to say something to that person I came from behind his back. Then I saw his father complete in the dark in uniform somewhere in bunker. And I was in shock. I just say, don't worry in English. I, you Ukrainian father, me Croatian father. I hugged the little one and I went away to cry. You know, complete in dark. He hold his mobile phone like this, that the little one can see at least a little bit of his face. You know, and these uh, these traumas gonna stay uh, the rest of their life. You know, they are now passing uh, because we have uh, these uh, we call it PTSD syndrome, post-traumatic uh, after the war. Uh, two thousand, I think, two thousand five hundred Croatian veterans did suicide because they couldn't handle that uh, trauma of the war. And uh, it, it is, that's my uh, target, to make their life easiest as possible. And these stories happen frequently throughout the first months of the boys' stay, when the war is at its height. After Vinica, here was everybody completely down and crying, that uh, bombarding of that Vinica where so many children were killed. And uh, the, uh, tomorrow we were going to Dubrovnik all day, activity. That silence in the bus, uh, I'm going to remember the, the rest of my life. Vinitsia, a city in the centre of Ukraine with a population of over half a million, was hit on the 14th of July with at least 20 people killed, including three children and dozens more wounded. The Ukrainian ambassador to the USA told CBS the following. It's a large cruise missiles and simply hit a residential area when people were walking around, when people were just trying to have normal life, if it's possible, under the circumstances. Before February the 24th, there had been some warnings that Russia might invade. Shakhtar were trying to work out what to do with their academy, should the worst happen. Katya explains to me the decisions the club were weighing up. Our base in uh, Shakhtar 
in Shastriva. We place it uh, near Kiev, uh, seven kilometers, and uh, it's like five kilometers to airport, the biggest airport in Ukraine. Shastriva is the training ground in Kiev. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. And we understand that it was uh, territory uh, can be attacked. And we need to have some decision uh, because if it starts to be what we need to do with our boys. But when it does, nothing can prepare you for the realities of war. We wake up five o'clock in the morning because we start to hear a lot of explosion. Uh, Russia start to attack all airport around uh, all Ukraine. And uh, after maybe one minute, I start to receive a call from parents of the boys. And they cried, they uh, really stressed uh, because this has happened for all big city and we all start to know that it starts to be war. When I go to window, I see how it uh, can be when like Armageddon, you know, when a lot of people running from the house and uh, sit in the cars and start to go in uh, on the road and without any rules, without any lights. It was very terrible. There are loads of boys in this shelter, and the team are waiting for parents to come and decide what to do. Do they stay together as a family and try to escape, or do they let their sons stay with the football club and find a way out and be safe? Can you imagine making those decisions as a parent? Imagine the sense of responsibility that Katya felt. They're not crying, of course, because they're a big boy, but uh, they were very uh, stressed. They're not talking, you know, when... If you know about football players, you know that they have big emotions. But when you came, uh, when I came in that day on the base, it was, you know, like uh, calm, yes, silence. They sit and look at me and uh, in the eyes I uh, read that what will happen in the future, but we don't know, we don't have answer. 50 boys end up staying in the hangar for a week until finally Shakhtar's director of football, Dario Serna, find some a home, the Hotel Zagreb in Split in Croatia. Of course, we have big thanks for the Croatia, for Croatia people, for Dario Serna, for a lot of people, you know. We understand that uh, in this world, the most uh, expensive, not money. The most important, it's only support of human to human. The journey from their base outside Kiev to Split is approximately 2,000 kilometers, and in normal conditions, should take around 21 hours. Instead, their journey was a little longer. But when they crossed into Croatia, well, Anastasia, the academy's administrator, can explain the relief. This trip was almost two days. I felt uh, good when we crossed the border from Hungary to Croatia. Croatian policemen, border police. Uh, I was tired, everybody was tired coaches and they're just smiling and told everything be okay what you need okay guys please go out from bus we wanted to show you something it was night as the croatian police stopped the academy bus anastasia was worried because not all the boys had documentation she needn't have worried as instead the police had a wonderful surprise for them but they just uh, pick up uh, boys from bus and collect them and uh, show them some place where they can drink tea, eat, take some toys, a lot of toys, a lot of food. And I ask, what is it? 
and they told you know it's everything donate from people from Croatian people for you from for Ukrainian people and that's why we understood that uh, in Croatia it will be everything okay It's almost time for Shakhtar to face their next opponents, Celtic, from Glasgow in Scotland. This is a home game for Shakhtar, but it's not in Donetsk or Kiev, it's being played in Warsaw, in Poland. Here in the Hotel Zagreb, only a couple of the boys gather around a TV screen to watch. Instead, lots watch on their phones in smaller groups. After all, all their other sources of information are on their phone, why not the match too? Over in Warsaw, though, Adam is embedded with the team as they get ready to play. I am, and I've landed in Poland the day before Shakhtar are due to face Celtic. The match that should, in theory, be their easiest on paper. The coaching staff invite me to watch training a day before the game. They run this drill over and over again, trying to get star player Mikhailo Mudryk in behind the fullback and centre-backs of Celtic's defence. They must be doing this for 15-20 minutes, and it looks like it's the plan for tomorrow night. While in Warsaw, I have a few casual conversations with members of Shakhtar's backroom staff. One of those people is Shakhtar's chef, whose job it is to organise all the food for the squad and the staff, both home and away, and he lets slip that the team were even able to enjoy a few beers after the victory against Leipzig. Also, I spoke to the club's CEO, Sergei Palkin, who said that after his brilliant performance against Celtic, Mikhailo Mudrik, who Shakhtar rejected £30 million bids for in the summer, is now valued closer to £60 million and rising. He says that anyone who wants to sign Mudrik must respect Shakhtar, who won't be giving players away, even in the parlous state of war. Afterwards, I catch up with the club's assistant and fitness coach, Daniel De Castro. And I think now is uh, our responsibility when the team play, try to, the, the country forget 90-95 minutes around the problem and try to be happy this minutes. We sit down in the Regent Hotel in Warsaw, where the squad is staying. De Castro essentially looks like a bearded Ben Affleck, but with Ryan Reynolds' eyes. Lucky him. He tells me it's been the most difficult season for him so far as a coach. And that's because the club is continually on the move, travelling across the continent. For me, the problem is now in the season. Because, as I said you before, for us, we play all the, all the games away. Mm-hmm. It's game, travel, game, travel, game, travel. And it's very difficult because when we have to pass the, the border, uh, we spend two hours, two hours and a half more than the bus, more than the, the plane if we need. Uh, for each travel, maybe eight hours, ten hours. And it's two times per week, because yesterday we traveled to arrive to Poland, but last when we play in Leipzig, we play in Leipzig, we have to travel until uh, Lviv. Uh, we play in Lviv, now we have to travel against to Poland, it's two times per week, it's too, too hard. But at the same time, it's his job to make sure the players are physically and emotionally ready. One of the most important for me is how, how feel the player, not only physical, but emotional. 
and this season the emotional is down, up, down, up, depending on the day, depending on the week. Now at least we have we are having good results, and at least the moral of the team is is good. But we can forget our situation, and we have to be so close to the player decision to try to be happy the most time is possible. But back to football and their upcoming match against the Scottish champion Celtic, the Shakhtar coaching staff have been struggling to work out how to play against them. And that's because Celtic dominate their league. They've won 10 of the previous 11 Scottish titles, which means there's very little footage of what Celtic do when they're defending. They usually have all the ball. For us, for prepare Celtic, the more difficult uh, is because he, in his championships they are, are playing amazing. They are beat 0-9, 0-5. They receive only one goal in corner. Uh, and we don't have a lot of moments where they defend. Because they are all the time attacked, they are a very high press. So you mean because in Scotland they are so dominant? Yes. It means yes, you, yes. It's difficult to find the clips where they yes. are yes, more yes, pushed yes, back. Yes. That's interesting. Elsewhere in the hotel, head coach Igor Jovicevic is going through the tactics with the team ahead of the match. In a small side room on the first floor, he has a large whiteboard and a flat screen TV to help demonstrate his instructions. He's telling the team that concentration is key. He wants his team to be mindful of being caught on the counter-attack. And he stresses that the players should raise their hand and ask questions if there's anything that they do not fully understand. His analysis team, a couple of employees who are tasked with studying opponents, have noticed that Celtic restart from goal kicks and free kicks very quickly. In a recent match against Celtic's rivals Glasgow Rangers, it led to Celtic scoring a goal. We are dead if we do that, Jovicevic says, showing a clip where Rangers switched off at a dead ball. It's Wednesday the 14th of September, match day. The game takes place in Legia Warsaw's ground, the Polish Army Stadium. Yeah, that's really the name. By the way, Warsaw, where Shakhtar are playing, is actually closer to Brussels than it is to Donetsk, Shakhtar's actual home. And I suppose that underlines just how big Ukraine is as a country. There's huge belief amongst the team that they can get another result. They did so against Leipzig after all, and Celtic are, theoretically, a weaker team. Before the game, I head outside the stadium. I want to speak with some fans to get a sense of the expectation and emotions heading into the second match of the group stage. One supporter, Anastasia, tells me how the club has become a big symbol for the country. I'm a football fan. I'm not like um, probably the greatest fan and I'm not the greatest fan of uh, Shahtar, but I really like how they're um, driving to like to be the Ukrainian team, you know, that they have lost most of their Brazilian players. Yep. And uh, yeah, now they're mostly Ukrainians and the, their image as the Ukrainian team is really important here in Europe and for us Ukrainians as well, because they represent us on the international arena here. You'll remember from episode one how previous iterations of the Shakhtar team were filled with Brazilian players. Now it's majority Ukrainian. 
Can you just tell me a little bit, obviously we, we see a lot on the news mm-hmm. about what is happening in Ukraine at the moment. Over the weekend it sounded like there was improvement. Uh, yeah, there, there were a lot of improvements uh, thanks to the Ukrainian army. They're really, I don't know, I'm very proud to be Ukrainian at the moment because they're really doing a great job. Uh, still, we are uh, like uh, just a few uh, hours ago, uh, Krivirik was bombed and uh, yeah, it's, it's a large city, actually the city where our president was born and raised. So um, we are still frightened, we are still afraid of uh, the, um, like the Russian army, but yeah, we, we do believe that we will win and uh, yeah, and we do believe in our army, it's like, like never before actually. Another fan mentions that above all, He'd really just like the team to be able to play at home. I wish that Shakhtar will play in Donetsk in the DSTR. When Ukraine will win this war, I wish that Shakhtar was, uh, will be come back to home. Yeah, And the next match on the Champions League in the next season, we will see on the Donbass Arena. Very nice. I wish that. And what's your prediction for tonight? For tonight, we will win. Mudrik will score the goal. Unfortunately for the Ukrainian side, the match gets off to the worst possible start. Shakhtar score an own goal just 10 minutes into the match. They were also caught on the counter-attack, exactly what their head coach had warned against the day before the game. However, almost 20 minutes later, our fans' second prediction does ring true. Mudrik, in the club's orange and black kit, sprints down the left-hand side and Sudakov plays the perfect pass to this young, precocious talent. He's one-on-one with the keeper, and there's no stopping this man at the moment. It's a goal, and it's a goal that I watched them practice time and time again on the training field the day before. At half-time, I joined the team in the dressing room to hear what head coach Igor Jovicevic has to say to his team. He tells them, we knew this would be a tough game. Endure it, endure it. The match ends in a one-all draw. It's not great for either team, all things considered, but it's another point on the board. The result is enough to keep the club in the top two of their group. It's enough, as things stand, to see them through to the Champions League knockout stages when no one expects them to be. But there's still four games to go. Afterwards, I catch up with midfielder Ivan Petriak. You may remember him from our first episode. He was the one whose father-in-law sadly died in the war. He tells me his thoughts following the match. We start not good enough because they scored first very fast goal. And after that, we start to play more clever, more faster. And in the end, we score also goal. In the second half, they have some chances we also have. But I think 1-1, it was a result. It was the game 1-1, my opinion. At the end of the game, not you because you came off, yeah. off the bench, but the players looked very, very tired, I think. after. Do you think it's an accumulation of the travel and the long journey? Uh, this is normal, this is normal. We are ready physically, but still, every, every, every day we are in the bus, in the plane. Very difficult for the players, but... We gave everything today, 
I hope we we will continue like this and we will achieve something in this season. And, and do you think it is the spirit of the group that is getting these results? Yes, yes. It, I think we are very strong like a team. Of course, we have good individual players, but our result is our team. How we fight each other, our communication between each other, and that's why we have four points after two games. And the last question for me, the goal Mudovic scored was you were, you were working on, on training, that, that kind of movement behind the, the defender, the fullback. Of course, we trained this. Of course, we prepared this. Uh, we want to play uh, short passes, and after we try to find somebody behind the defenders. This is our tactic, and I think today, a few times, it was really good. Shakhtar move on to their next match, heading back into Ukraine to carry on competing in the Ukrainian Premier League. But back at the makeshift academy in Croatia, there's no such movement. It's the same scene, away from family, hoping to one day return home, return to their friends and their loved ones, hoping one day all of this leads to them stepping out onto a pitch, making their mark on the game they love. Here's two of them, one speaking Ukrainian, one speaking English. Here's their stories in their words. Here's their voices. My name is Rostislav Bagai. I'm from the city Lviv. My favorite player is Eduard Mendy. I'm a goalkeeper. The thing I enjoy most about Split is its landscapes and the ability for us to train here. The Croatian people have welcomed us warmly here, gave us the opportunity to train on a very good pitch, to progress and reach a new level. For this, I'm very thankful to the Croatian people. The thing I miss most about Ukraine is my family and people dear to me. After we were forced to leave Ukraine and move to Split, I began talking to my parents a lot. Thank God I do not have any experiences of the war. I'm happy that Shakhtar reached Champions League in such a difficult moment from our country, and they are doing well in the group stage. Through this, they bring joy to the defenders of our country and all the people living in Ukraine. Hello, my name is Nazar. I live in Kyiv. My favorite football player is Karalas Puyol. On the football field, I play centre-back. In the split, I like fact that here we have the opportunity to play football. People in Croatia are kind and helpful. I miss my parents and our academy. I really want to go back to Ukraine. I talk to my friends and parents every day. When the war started, we all woke up very early. And no one understood anything. Everyone had a panic. Then we were in our bunker and we were all taken out a week later in Croatia. I'm very happy that Shakhtar reached the Champions League. I wish them good luck. Next time on Away From Home, I head to Spain, where Shakhtar get ready to face the European champions, Real Madrid. Everybody expect now that we pass the group, we'll be there, but it will be very, very, very difficult. We also head into the boardroom as we seek to find out why exactly Shakhtar is suing FIFA, football's world-governing body, 
for 50 million euros. Nobody care about Ukrainian clubs. FIFA don't care about us. And we hear a mother's devastating story of a Ukrainian footballer who was killed during this war. He said, Mom, I really love you. And he said that he would speak to his younger brother as well to make him promise to always be polite and listen to me. Away From Home is an athletic media company production. It was presented by Adam Crafton and Joey Durso. It was written and produced by Adam Crafton, Joey Durso and Abby Patterson, with additional production by Mike Stavrou. Sound mixing is by Ollie Bellwood. Translation by Dina Rebrov, with voiceovers by Leo Kravchuk, Yego Mikhailov and Scott Ellis. The executive editor is Adrian Moorhead and the managing editors are Ben Green and Alex Kajelski.